All right. <laughs> Welcome uh, to the first episode of Gabe and Jamin's Mystery Experiment Podcast. Uh, my name is Jamin Yee. I'm Gabe Rose. And, uh, and we're here today to talk about uh, three things. We're each going to share three things that are uh, that are coming up for us right now. Like they could be recommendations, they could be epiphanies, they could be uh, I don't know, cool experiences we've had. Anything really that is on our minds and hearts lately. And then we'll also ask each other uh, three questions. And that is the format of our podcast experiment. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, basically, the whole idea got started because uh, Gabe and I have been best friends for a long time. And we always have amazing conversations and awesome in-depth dialogues. And I, and, you know, and I will also say I feel like we both occupy uh, very different realms of knowledge or whatever you call it. We're very different. But we find a place where we meet in the middle. and um, It's like I, a sweet Venn diagram. There you go. And, and the middle of that Venn diagram, I was always like, man, it'd be really cool if we could uh, share that a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if other people will find it interesting, but that's why this is an experiment. So <laughs> we'll do it once and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, there's 11 people on Facebook Live right now. Yeah. Yeah. We're also so broadcasting you know, this live because um, we're cool not? like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically to kick things off, in case you guys don't know who we are, I thought it'd be fun if we just uh, gave three quick little tidbits about the other person. Um, so Gabriel Rose uh, has uh, is super into politics and Google Documents. Um, he has, over the past, I want to say like eight years, has really helped transform um education in Los Angeles and also spreading that through the rest of the nation with the work he's been doing at Parent Revolution. And in the eighth grade, uh, when I needed help learning how to talk to girls, he let me listen in on a phone conversation with his eighth grade girlfriend at the time. Um, but she didn't know that. She didn't that, know yeah, at the time. Yeah, then yeah. she found out. And then she was like, Gabe, what are you doing? And then um, probably violated some sort of law, you know, on that one. <laughs> and and it didn't work. I didn't I didn't really learn how to talk to girls. We well, so. didn't have a very good teacher, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Oh boy, uh, so many things I could say about Jamin, but uh, if I could boil it down to three, um, he's one of the most talented creatives I know. I mean, he yes. just I mean, video has been sort of his professional creative pursuit, but anything creative this guy puts his mind to, he just nails it. It's yes. amazing. Thank you. Um, <laughs> He's been on an amazing journey over the last five years in terms of uh, mindfulness and spirituality and a whole bunch of whole package of, of uh, sub journeys along with that, that has been incredible to sort of be along from the ride and learn from. And um, if you don't know this about Jamin and you're not watching Facebook live, you need to know that he has an amazing Mohawk. Um, it's like one, of, it's a top 10 Mohawk of, of everyone, you know, and, and Gabe knows a lot of Mohawks. He's, yeah, yeah. he's seen so many Oh, more than you could ever imagine. So that's, you know, <laughs> Those are the three. Thanks, dude. Man, your intro is so good. Um, I'm going to rework mine next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put some more thought into it. But, okay, let's get on with the show. Uh, we're going to begin with our three things. Um, and uh, I'll start with mine number one. Um, this is something I've already talked about. But basically, um, I'm wearing them right now. And I would say this is probably the best purchase I've made in the past year, if not my life. Wow. Um but uh, I just got these new headphones, and they're Bose uh, Quiet Comfort Twenty. 
headphones. Um, I was a huge are they a fan. show sponsor? <laughs> they are indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Bose, if you're listening, send me more headphones. Um, but these headphones are fucking amazing. Um, I had the previous model, which is the the ones you're actually wearing right now, the Bose MIE2i. Nice. And they're awesome headphones. I swore by them for years. I could put them in my pocket. I just carry them all the time. They they have these interesting like little tips, so they can all, they just always stay in, and the sound quality is excellent. And they have a mic built in for your iPhone, right? But these newer versions, which are also quite pricier. Um, blow them out of the water. So they're sound canceling headphones. You can get them on Amazon for I think $250. So they're not cheap. I got mine on Craigslist for $170. Um, But they're sound canceling. So you just turn them on. They have this little battery pack and everything around you just goes silent. And if you're living in a city like San Francisco, and if you're living in a house with 38 people like I am. Which most of our listeners are, I think. (laughs) I think most of them. Um, it is it is so I didn't even realize how important it was to have sound canceling until I had these headphones and and like I can't live without them now like wow. working in a cafe just like walking around town or biking with with headphones without sound canceling that, that sounds like a bad idea to to not be able to hear anything <laughs> while you're biking I, I really in San Francisco I really shouldn't be doing that I know but it sounds so good okay walking walking <laughs> yeah, around walking San Francisco in the daytime when safe um but they they just clear out everything. And when you don't have those, you don't realize like how much you're like not hearing, you know, you're really mm-hmm. hearing like 50% of the music and 50% of just a lot of cacophony and noise. Um, but the other thing about them is the sound quality is amazing. And for, for in-ear headphones, these are like little headphones. They're not the huge beats ones you put over your head for in-ear headphones. They have amazing bass. Mm-hmm. Like it really kicks. It really bumps. And for me, the benefit has been um, my love for music has come back in like this powerful way. Like all day, I just want to listen to music. Um, It sounds so good. I would say the difference is with regular headphones, it sounds like you're listening to music, you know, it's being played at you. With these headphones, I feel like I'm swimming in a world of music. That's a good pitch. (laughs) It's a good good pitch. Bose, are you listening? Yeah. (laughs) Are you listening? Um, But uh, it's been really amazing. And um, I'll also, I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to combine my, my, this thing with another thing. I think I know what's coming next. Yeah. Spotify. I finally got Spotify premium and it's been fucking awesome. I don't know why I waited so long to join a streaming service. I was real. I think I was kind of hipster about my online music. I was like, oh, I got my hype machine. I got my SoundCloud. The plebeians, the mainstream folks, they use Spotify. Yeah, wasting their money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, but uh, God, I have to say it's been it's been so awesome just having all music just available at my fingertips. And, you know, the thing I really love about Spotify is um, their curation. Like they'll they have this playlist they make for you every week called Discover Weekly. And based on the songs you're hearting and the stuff you like, they deliver you songs that they think you'll like based on their user data and everything. And the more I've been using it, the better it's been getting. Like every playlist, I remember the first one I got, I was like, eh, maybe I liked one song in there. This last one, this Monday, um, there was like seven songs I hearted from there. And I'm like, wow, they're really like starting to get my taste. And they're really helping me discover awesome music. Um, And, you know, the other thing about Spotify that SoundCloud doesn't have is you can stay with like one mood. You know, if you Mm, want to listen to a whole album 
Whereas my Spotify or my sorry, my SoundCloud playlist would just be like so fucking random. It's like just random songs I hearted. Yeah, um, same. Yeah, so, it's so much effort to build playlists. Oh, I just like can't like so much work. Yeah, I'm so lazy. Yeah, which is why Spotify sounds like it solves for a lot of that with like the the auto generated stuff. Exactly. Which is cool. so. Um, look, I'll say you got me. You might have me sold on Spotify. I've been a uh, I've been paying like basically the same amount of money as Spotify, yes. ten bucks a month for the the sort of YouTube Red and Google Music Play um, package. <laughs> but as you pointed out to me. T- with T-Mobile now you can stream unlimited YouTube and so like that's a little less valuable yeah. and like I could take that same $10 and get like what sounds like an amazing experience so with you is vouch for this Isaac's vouch for this yeah. so so I think you got me on Spotify here's my question about the headphones they sound amazing <laughs> right yeah. this just sounds like a, an experience I didn't know you could have with headphones right um, but the issue I think for me as with probably a lot of our, our listeners out there is I have about with any given pair of headphones, there's between a 50 and a 80% chance that I lose them within a year. Right. Um, which, you know, I just can't, yeah, you know, I, I could spend, if I had a guaranteed no loss somehow, <laughs> if I could do that, you tether it to your I, body. I, there's a decent, there's a 50, 50 chance I'd pay two fifty for like, uh, for the chance to swim in music, as you said, every day. Um, I know you basically just don't lose things. You're like a freak <laughs> of nature that just like does not lose things. I don't. Could you explain to people, to people out there what your strategy is for for not losing headphones and or for not losing anything in general but at least answer the (laughs) the, how do you not lose headphones when no one else in the world has been able to figure this out okay so two two quick things one um my strategy for not losing things in general is just to always put them like in their place like my keys go into the same place on my desk if they're not there they're in my pocket um right it's just like everything just has its home and it's just always there and if it's not there then i know something's up um and then with the headphones it's the same thing it's just i i keep my headphones with me at all times so okay they're in my pocket the same way my keys and my wallet and my oh okay phone so this are. is a permanent part of your pocket it's just a permanent part of my pocket um because i use headphones so much like whether i'm taking calls or listening to music or listening so you to never podcasts. it's part of your the guys will understand this probably the the women out there won't but it's part of your quick pocket check, it's part of right my, like do, if do, you're do, walking do. around and you yeah. don't have your headphones in your pocket you feel weird something's wrong all the, okay yeah interesting so and then you have a spot at home yes we put, yeah totally. so these headphones seem like they're a little bigger but that's you just eat the cost of that and yeah just, yeah and they're still they're still really portable and the, the the bigness of them is actually kind of nice they don't get tangled which mm. is really cool and yeah i guess they're harder to lose okay so yeah all right nice okay so um what is your number number three three uh, things i guess so, we're doing a backwards countdown yeah i guess i'll do um sh- should i just do two I'll, I'll do the first two i guess Oh, you um, did too. Well, you just did too, right? Yeah. Well, I cheated. That was all part of my. That was all part of one. Yeah. Just okay. Do one. Okay. I'll just do one then. <laughs> um. So. So. Uh. Mine is. Uh. Will not surprise you. It's a person that I've been getting really into recently, which ah. is a dude named Sebastian Junger. Yeah. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um. Awesome dude. I actually got into it thanks to you because I listened to his. Um. His podcast episode with tim ferris tim ferris really enjoys podcasts like one out of every like 20 podcasts of his i'll listen to and it will just be amazing um but uh sebastian is this he's just a super interesting dude and i've i listened to his podcast then i read his book then i watched his documentary so i've just like i've been on sort of like a sebastian junger kick recently i hadn't heard of this guy like three weeks ago and i would just like think about him and talk about him like on the daily um but uh 
a few things I'll recommend if folks are interested in checking them out. One, he has this amazing book, Tribe. Two, you can just listen to his Tim Ferriss podcast. And three, it's a great documentary he did on the war in Afghanistan or on a particular platoon's experience in the war in Afghanistan called Restrepo. It was from 2010, actually got nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary of the Year. And um, some of the reason I've really been digging this guy, um, he also, by the way, uh, was the author of The Perfect Storm, which if you haven't read the book, maybe you've seen the movie, amazing, amazing book. Um, the reason I'm really digging him is he has been, ex- he's really focused on these topics that um, I just, uh, and he ties a few different topics together that I find really interesting. And I think mm-hmm. like under discussed in a serious way um, in society, popular culture, Uh one of them is masculinity. He has a lot of interesting reflections on masculinity from a perspective of someone who's who's been a war reporter for a decade right. plus and like done a very lot, a lot of very masculine things yeah, in his life. But he's, like he's a he's a he's a dude's dude. Yeah, but yeah. he's not like a he's not like a sort of just like caricature of macho. You know, he's not sort of like macho for macho's sake. Right. Um, two, he's you know as a war reporter for the last ten or fifteen years, um, he's spent a lot of time in conflict zones in his war and is really interesting. I think nuanced perspectives on war that I've never um, heard anyone else hmm. share, and so I just feel like I've I've gotten this whole new, different lens through which to view war, um, which I didn't have beforehand. And if you think about like war is a very unpleasant thing, so it's like right. it feels like not something we're interested in learning about. Or I'll say for myself, like not something I've been super interested in was learning about because you'd prefer to look away. Right. Um, but it's a hugely integral part, unfortunately, of our human experience in general throughout all time and certainly like the world's current human experience. So um, even though we and, you know, we have this so the last thing I say is like we have a, um, a somewhat unique situation in America right now. And I think like a lot of like the modern Western world mm-hmm. where unlike I think basically all previous generations where wars were sort of total, total wars that mobilized the whole society. And if you were an able-bodied man, like chances were you were going off to fight. Right. Nowadays we have such a tiny percentage of our population that fights our wars for us. And, and as he points out correctly, these are our wars. Like we are sent, the soldiers aren't choosing to fight. Right, like we right. elect them. officials yeah. and they send these people who will signed up to do anything that we tell them to do. They're being sent off to fight our wars. Right. Um, but, I realize uh, that, you know, I really don't have anyone in my immediate social network, you know, my probably like 50 to 100 closest friends that has served, I don't think. Um, I imagine probably something similar is true for you um, Mm -hmm. and for sort of most of our friends. And it's just like a real divide, I think, between a relatively small part of the country that serves and the rest of us. And I think that's, I think that's a pretty significant problem. And so the, the chance to learn more and sort of dive into that issue more um, has been, um, yeah, really rewarding for me. And it's, it's a thread I want to keep, keep pulling on a little bit. Yeah. Wow. That sounds amazing. Um, could you share like one, I don't know, like a, a one tidbit or something that you've learned from some of his works? Like, uh... yeah. So I'll, I'll, so I'll share one little anecdote. So he, um, he talks a lot about masculinity and he says, um, he notes that like a lot of cultures sort of across different cultures and across times, like many of them or most of them or the vast majority of them, I'm not sure exactly his characterization, have rites of passage for men. I, I just remember, I, he may have talked about women at all, but I specifically remember his points around men um, that are like pretty serious and oftentimes grueling, but that really means something in the culture in terms of sort of the transition from boyhood to yeah. masculinity to, to being a man. Um, 
And he talks about like our culture clearly lacking that. And he actually posits, and I, I'm not sure whether this is right or wrong, but I find it plausible. He posits that a lot of the just like ridiculous, um, like juvenile risk taking that we mm. see in our culture and that I think like we and many of our friends in high school participated in, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, driving ridiculously, drinking too much when you're 16, just like all the sort of ridiculous thing teenagers do. Right. He posits a lot of that as sort of like a substitution for those rites of passage. Like because we don't have any like serious societal way of making the transition, we're sort of like awkwardly and clunkily inserting all these what are very risky behaviors yeah. um, to sort of fill that void. Um, like, yeah, I'm not sure that's right or wrong, but I, I thought that was a really interesting argument that I never thought about. Yeah. That is fascinating. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, all right, moving on to my my actual number two. Um, this is kind of interesting. So you you know that I've struggled with sleep for a while. Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> sleep and me are not good friends. Um, I have I would say like kind of light insomnia a lot of the time. Um, have a lot of trouble going to bed early. I feel like by the time it's time for me to go to bed, I'm just like wide awake. And even if I do manage to fall asleep early, I'll wake up like at three or four in the morning and then have trouble falling back asleep. So over the last few years, I've experimented with, experimented with tons of like vitamins and supplements and like trying to and figure out ways to improve my sleep. Uh, one of the only ones I've found was uh, melatonin, but it's a specific type. It's like it's one by Sundown Naturals, 300 micrograms. It's a super small amount and it's like quick dissolve in your mouth. For some reason that helps. And then... In the last few weeks, I just found my second one that that is really helping, and uh, it's kind of weird. It's uh, it's <laughs> so it's salt. Anything could happen right now. Anything could happen. So. There's there's your preface. Um, it's uh, it's called oleamide. Okay. And let me let me read a little description. Um, oleamide is a safe and natural endogenous sleep-inducing substance that was discovered and isolated by researchers at Scripps Research Institute from the cerebral spinal fluid of sleepy cats. It exists naturally in all of us too. <laughs> um, Wait, so I'm sorry. So, so the stuff you're taking now is someone goes into the cerebral spinal fluid of cats and takes it out and gives it to you? I'm not entirely sure. Or is sure. it manufactured in a lab? I like, think it's it? manufactured in a lab, but okay. it was discovered um, through sleepy cats. Okay. And, and it's something that, that our bodies have, have naturally also. Okay. Um, and, um, and I've done, I've done some research on it. It's, it's pretty safe. Um, it's sold by this, uh, company called lift mode l-i-f-t-m-o-d-e.com and they're known for like nootropics like the smart drug kind mm -hmm. of stuff um and a lot of people online have just been reporting that's been super helpful with sleep and um and so i, I gave it a shot and it's been fucking great wow. um the thing is like most sleeping pills they actually give you a shittier night of sleep like mm. you fall asleep and you stay asleep but the next day you actually got less restful sleep you're in less deeper waves um, and you just less, you know, you just, and you're usually groggy the next day. This stuff actually like induces kind of an increase in GABA signals, which kind of, which is what calms you down and like, and gives you restorative sleep. Um, and I actually feel like, yeah, I feel great the next day. I have no trouble. Like as soon as I take it, I take about 400 milligrams. Um, and I fall asleep. I get tired within 10 minutes and then I sleep usually through the whole night. Um, and here's the reason I, I really love it is it has a short half-life. So if I wake up at like four in the morning before there's nothing I could do, I was not going to take a sleeping pill, which is going to knock me out for like nine more hours, you right. know? Um, so I would just, 
<laughs> which is like meditate or read a book uh, and just wait until I fell asleep again, like an hour and a half. Um, and with this stuff, it has a short half-life. So if I take it at four, I'll be, by the time I wake up at nine or so, I'll be fine. And uh, it's just been a game changer. I just like feel like, I, I obviously don't want to rely on it. I don't want to take it every day, but it it's like I have in like an ace in the hole. It's like, I know, oh, if I have trouble falling asleep tonight, I'll just take this and I'll be good. Mm. And that for any insom- insomniac knows is really awesome. Nice. So, yeah. Now, is this something you'd recommend to like anyone that really like struggles with sleep stuff worth trying? Is this yeah. something you'd recommend for everyone to have just like around if there's ever a night where you just can't crash? I mean, if it's not a usual thing, like, I don't know if I, w- I would recommend it to you. But if, yeah, if you're struggling with sleep, um, you'll try anything. And yeah, like, I definitely yeah. think this is worth a shot. Um, I'm still doing more research on it. And there's a lot of people out there who, who advocate for it and say it's really safe. People smarter than me uh, who've done more research than me. But um, but yeah, I uh, it still is... It still is being researched. So, yeah. 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 Uh, with not, not FDA approved. Yet. <laughs> not yeah. FDA approved. So, yeah. watch out, kids. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Nice. Dude, I'm really glad you found that. Yeah, me too. Game changer. Super stoked. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I'll, uh, uh, I'm going to continue my sort of like uh, darker recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> Do but, it. Uh, but, uh, as you know, um, I really reading has become like a huge part of my life over the last four or five years, yeah. largely due to your recommendation that I buy a Kindle, which probably <laughs> yes. finally happened like four or five years ago, and has been a game changer for me. So, kids, yep. if you don't have a Kindle, you really gotta have a Kindle. gotta get a Kindle. Um, it's really, anyways, the cheapest one is like fifty bucks right now. Yeah, Amazon. there's no excuse you for will, every American to not have a Kindle. You will read more, yeah. guaranteed. Yeah, and there's just reading more is just such a huge like game changer for your life. It's yeah. like, anyways, anything you do to read more. Um, but. Um, my favorite book of the last month that I just have to recommend to anyone who, uh, is remotely curious in the topic. Uh, it's dark. It's called, uh, it's about the genocide of Rwanda. And the title is, uh, we wish to inform you that tomorrow we will be killed along with our families. Um, which was a, a line from a note that someone who was inside a hospital, like sort of holed up inside a hospital who was about to be killed the next morning along with their family. Yeah. Sent that to a, um, to a local priest in the community as part of a note, basically a plea, an unsuccessful plea ultimately for mm-hmm. him to find a way for them to be spared. Mm-hmm. Um, but so here's the, the, um, the reason I recommend it is, so there's a few reasons. Um, uh, one, it's a really important topic, um, but it's something that uh, at least like our generation, I mean, if you're my age, you were like eight when this was happening. Yeah. Um, so it's something that like our generation, like millennials more broadly, sort of like know that it happened, but don't actually know much about it. Um, but it was an incredibly, obviously horrific and formative event, not only for Rwanda um, and sort of the whole East Africa region, but also for American foreign policy and Western foreign policy. The long story short is... Uh, a million people were killed, Tutsis, um, in the genocide perpetrated by the Hutus, like a, or some of the Hutus, uh, like a different ethnicity inside Rwanda. A million people in 100 days, which is sort of an unprecedented oh rate of slaughter. Yeah. Um, and the, the sort of takeaway of the tragedy from the Western community was that experts then and now um, uh, thought that 5,000 troops like Western troops on the ground allowed to actually use force to keep the peace could have prevented the slaughter. So like with like 
I mean, for you know, comparison's sake, we probably sent like 150,000 troops into Iraq and Afghanistan. So 5,000 troops on the ground could have just stopped the whole thing. Really? And so, yeah. And so it's this like this huh. epic failure of sort of the West and the international community to be able to stop something that people think was basically completely preventable. Um, and, you know, I think like our generation has grown up politically in terms of um, foreign policy and American interventionism with our main lesson being the war in Iraq, which was mm -hmm. an example of how foreign intervention can be can an epic wrong. disaster right. and is something to be very, very cautious of, which is an important lesson. Sure. But I think it's important to remember there's also lessons that cut the other way. And none of these things are, are ever like super simple or easy, but um, I think it's important to sort of not miss the lessons that the previous generation learned. Um, and so that's like why like learning about that's my pitch for why learning about the Rwanda genocide is important. Yeah. But beyond that, the book was just phenomenal. I mean, there's a guy that spent like a lot of time there, the author, I don't remember his name right now, um, but spent a lot of time there had like really deeply studied the issue and just writes just very, very well, very compellingly. Um, it doesn't, it feels like the sort of book that has like, it, it sheds light on the tragedy, but also has a lot of like hope and compelling human stories in mm -hmm. there. Um, it's very readable considering the subject is right yeah awesome what was the book called again it's called uh we wish to inform you that tomorrow we will be killed along with our families highly recommend for anyone that's interested in diving into something that's um that's you know emotionally difficult but um but i think very readable for, yeah. for most folks that's a great recommendation um and yeah it seems kind of interesting but it feels like you're kind of <laughs> on a war path so, yeah, so to speak yeah. but like you've you've been exploring um yeah like war a lot and some of this darker stuff is there i'm curious like is do you think there's like some pattern like is there a reason why that seems to be coming up or i don't know it's a good question i um as you know i so i'm starting this like monthly newsletter idea and i have like a draft of my first monthly newsletter that's sent yeah. out that's gonna be sort of like similar to this podcast it's like hey here's like the shit i've been enjoying recently that i, I recommend to others um and I like, I have a draft of it done and I was like, yeah, this is great. These are all things I'm like, really proud to share with folks. And then I like read through it and I was like, these are all very dark things. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, I guess the last month has just been filled with uh, darkness or darker, more violent things. I don't know if that's because that's just because I'm in a little bit of like a darker place right, right now or um, just because the country is in a bit of a darker place. Yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the reason, but, but yeah. it's definitely like a little bit of a, of a theme. Yeah, and I honestly, I'm I'm a fan of darkness. Mm. I wasn't always, um, but I feel like uh, our culture is very darkness phobic. Like people are, yeah. and just in general, like scared of things that aren't just happy, joy, joy emotions. Um, and I don't know, like for me, especially in the past year, like diving more into my darkness and into my lows and into some of those emotions and the sadness that like usually you you try to repress or hide from people um that's been so enriching for me and like i kind of want that for everyone yeah. so i kind of love that you're exploring your darkness right now <laughs> go forth yeah. go forth <laughs> go forth into the darkness into the darkness yeah <laughs> i mean it's like it doesn't go away if we don't look at it you right. know and we all like there's only so much you can handle productively but um exactly but yeah i totally agree awesome cool well um i'm gonna take it in a different direction <laughs> we're gonna go into the lightness a little bit um but uh my number three or my number one three two one 
um, is uh, a cool experience I had while camping this past weekend, mm. and is something you're camping. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, me and a bunch of my housemates, it was like I think eighteen of us went camping. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, crew. and we went to Henry Coe State Park, which was beautiful. And the best thing about it, yeah, you should write it down, uh, Henry C O E. And the best thing about it was there was no one else there. That's awesome. We had the entire place to ourselves. And to even get there, like, you're only, I think you're only allowed to drive your car in, like, once Mm -hmm. or something like that. So, like, really, like, the most of us had to, like, hike in, like, two miles. So, it felt really remote in this awesome way. Where is it located? Northeast, I think. I'm not so good geographically. No, no, no. no, no. It's, like, it's more in. Okay. Um, But, or Southeast, I think. (laughs) Whatever, Google Maps. Somewhere in California <laughs> is the Henry Coe State Park. Somewhere, somewhere two and a half hours away. Um, but a bunch of us went camping. We had this awesome, amazing weekend. It was like my favorite kind of camping trips where it was fun and silly, but deep and introspective. Mm. You walked away. I feel like everyone walked away learning more about themselves and feeling closer and feeling more love, you know, which was awesome. Um, but to cap it off, we had this amazing Saturday Um and we kept it off Saturday evening. Uh, this guy on my trip, Chris, he was like, hey, Jamin, uh, do you want to help me do a cool experience for people? And I was like, yeah, I'm in. What is it? And he's like, I want to take people on a journey of the senses. And I was like, dude, say no more. Yeah. I am so in. <laughs> and uh, so let me like set the scene up for you. Like it's, you know, the sun had just gone down and the stars are shining. We set up these tarps on the ground. So like everyone, probably like 14 people are like all lying down, just like looking up. And there were like four of us, I think, as volunteers, quote unquote, just who were like helping run the experience. And um, and Chris, you know, in kind of this dramatic fashion, he's like, look up at the stars, you know, see them twinkling. And now that is the last time you'll see the stars for 30 minutes. Close your eyes. And like everyone closes their eyes, you know, and everyone's kind of giggling and stuff. And like we started with silence. And we, we basically were saying we want to take away one of your senses and we want you to pay attention to the others. You know, start with hearing. And we slowly like walked around them and you could hear this kind of crunching and people are like giggling and stuff. It's, it's pretty funny. And then I hit him with the Bluetooth speaker. Ooh. So I had a portable Bluetooth speaker in my hand and, and then I, st- I just, this music came on um, and I'll, I'll edit it in right now, but it was the above and beyond yoga set mm. that they did at Burning Man for sunrise yoga. Yeah. Um, beautiful, gorgeous music. Yeah. And it instantly put everyone into the state like, oh, like the giggling stopped instantly. Yeah, and it was yeah. like, whoa, this is going to be a special experience. Um, and I took the speaker and I kind of like, you know, everyone's like eyes are closed and they're down. And I was kind of like swirling around them with it. And I was kind of dancing with the music. Like when you have one speaker, you can you can go like around their ears. You can swoop over them. You can go really far away and then come back in and, you know, just do all sorts of movements with it. And it's, it's like... The, the sound is surrounding you and moving and it becomes its own like dance. Um, and so I'm doing that. And, and then we bring in taste and we had cut these little orange slices and, uh, and everyone like, you know, gets like a little orange slice. And, uh, and at first they didn't know what it was and they're like trying to figure it out. Like it was really fun. And then people had like a bunch of water and like kind of, I think at first like did little droplets onto people's skin. And then they took out these things called water brushes. I'd never heard of this before. I think they might just be paint brushes. Um, I don't know if they're if they're different, 
but they took these water brushes and put water on them and then kind of almost like you know painted people's faces mm. and their feet and their arms with this water and apparently it felt really fucking awesome wow and i've never i didn't get to try it myself since i was mr music man yeah. but um but it was really it was a really cool experience it was a really fun thing to do like and something very like outside of your normal experience yeah, and yeah. it kind of got everyone present it like yeah, brought yeah. everyone into the present moment all you're doing is paying attention to the senses your eyes are closed you don't even really know what's happening so something like an orange slice becomes like a whole different experience um and with that music it just put everyone into this magical yeah. beautiful kind of uh state you feel that energy carry through the rest of the night yeah uh, like uh, afterwards yeah. people loved it. i mean uh one of my housemates tall was like he was just like i just feel so fucking grateful that i have people in my life that i love you know friends like these this who would do something like this yeah. <laughs> like yeah. where did this come from um and Catherine, friend of the show, uh, of the show. <laughs> she told me that she used to lead this natural highs class with high school huh. students yeah, yeah. And she said that they would do they would do something like this, mm. like it's like a kind of a natural highs experience. Um, and I thought it was really cool. Like I kind of I want I, I thought like having an experience like that for a group of friends was one just like a cool outside the box thing to do. do. Two, I want to think of more outside the box things like that to do to people and gift them. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was a, it was awesome. I, nice. I really enjoyed that. Nice. That's amazing. It's really, if you step back and think about it, it's amazing how an experience where so it's like 14 people, they're <laughs> yeah. not interacting at all, right? No. Like not with each other. There's no, they're not like talking about anything. They're not like explicitly connecting to each other at all. Yet after the experience, there's still this amazing sort of new energy and sense of group unity, etc. Yeah. that sort of comes from an experience totally. that everyone was sort of having individually but was happening but together yeah. yeah and and afterwards you could feel like the energy like and everyone was like grouped together like people just having really deep conversations like it was yeah, yeah it was beautiful yeah it, it felt like a heart opening kind of experience you know if that sounds cheesy but but yeah like after that people just felt more open and vulnerable and intimate and close um and yeah just a lot of fucking love which was really cool nice if heart opening sounds cheesy to you you're probably not listening to this podcast <laughs> get off my podcast but if you're listening to this podcast get out and, of here and heart opening does sound cheesy to you <laughs> leave us a question on the facebook live uh chat because we gotta talk about that we, we that's gotta, like we, we gotta we should, talk to you we should um see if we can maybe deconstruct that a little bit. <laughs> awesome all right um cool that's sweet yeah. um so my third thing is uh a bit of a different direction uh I think I am going to donate one of my kidneys. Whoa. Yeah. And like, I think I sort of need to donate one of my kidneys. Oh, man. And I'm, yeah, I'm so intrigued right now. Yeah. So the, the reason this came about um, is I just like, randomly was on Twitter for five minutes one day. And I've been trying to like spend way less time on Twitter because it, it's a little bit of a soul sucking experience yeah, for me. Yeah. It's like a train wreck. <laughs> I like, just can't. It's really just, like a drug. You just like can't stop. Yeah. But it doesn't when you end, it doesn't make you feel good. Right. Um, but anyways, this was a notable exception to my uh, normal Twitter experience because I just like was randomly scrolling through my timeline. I saw this um, tweet from this guy. I think it was Dylan Matthews, who's a writer for um, Vox. And he sort of posted a, a, a picture of his Facebook post about his impending kidney donation and why he was doing it. And bottom line is he was just donating his kidney to a stranger because 
we all have two kidneys and we only need one. And there's other people that have no functioning kidneys that really badly need one. And right. so you can give someone like a, and we have a shortage of kidneys for people. Right. Uh, so you can give someone basically this incredible new lease on life at very little cost to yourself. You just have two, you have one you don't need, someone else needs one, you just give it to them. And like, obviously there are some risks involved, but they're really compared to like the potential reward for someone else, they're really very minor. I mean, right. like, yeah, you know, I was still like researching and learning more, I think, but um, as well, we understand it now, the actual operation where your kidney gets taken out, um, so, you know, because they, I forget that all the medical terms, but basically they just do it like this tiny, tiny incision now, right? Yeah. Where you're like, you're basically only off work for a week. Huh. Um, so like you're not, you're in the hospital on average, like two to four days. Your risk of like death during surgery is, is basically just like, it's basically the risk of death during childbirth, right? Like okay. it's not zero, but it's right. like, right. it's as safe as you know, your wife going and giving birth. Okay. Um, it's just like the basically risk from any time you go under general anesthesia. Again, not zero, but I think like like three deaths out of 10,000 yeah. or, or out of 100,000, like uh, comparatively very low. Wow. Um, and like my, there's some small potential like long-term health risks, but like really like as best we know now, quite minimal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just, I, I don't know. I just like randomly read that on Twitter and I was like, wait a second, like, I have an extra kidney. Someone else needs one. I just felt like if I don't like donate the kidney, that's like, rem it's like very selfish of me. You wow. Know? Um, so it's amazing. And ladies and gentlemen, like I would like to let you know, this is classic gay bros <laughs> right here. This is, he is like the most generous man I know. And the fact that he's just going to give his kidney, like, yeah, I'm not surprised. Actually, <laughs> I just, yeah, I just like as a, as a, as like a bigger picture thing, I've just been like thinking more about, um, so like, so it was, it was Yom Kippur's Jewish holiday yesterday. We were supposed to atone for your sins. Yeah. And, um, you know, like there's, there's normal like list of sins you atone for all things you do that are wrong, but I couldn't stop thinking about like, I feel like the bigger sin that maybe I commit and lots of people, especially people that have like relatively, uh, like are relatively well off, like live in America, middle up middle class is mm -hmm. like, it's like a sin of omission, not, it's not like the things we do, but the things we don't right, do. Like, right. Yeah. This is like a bigger picture there, but I just like, I've been like struggling more recently with like how to live like ethically, like to feel like I'm living ethically when like mm. I and we all have so much and, and a lot of folks could really use some of the resources we have. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't have any good answers on that probably cause they're, it's difficult to have good answers on that, but it feels like a kidney is like, at least like, I'm just looking for things I can do to like, try to move my life in a more ethical direction. So that's amazing. So kidneys it for now. We'll see. We'll see what comes. We'll next. see what's next. Yeah. Stay we'll see tuned. if I actually go through with it. I really want to do it. It's obviously yeah. like a little bit of a scary thing to do. Sure. Sure. But yeah, keep us updated. Yeah. Um, that also reminds me, like, I feel like I've been seeing more and more lately, like just more vulnerable blog posts about things like this. Mm -hmm. um, is people talking? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, um, I was just thinking of a, a post Ben Stiller made about uh, finding out he had prostate cancer mm. and just talking just talking openly about that. Um, and for some reason, that also reminds me of the Kid Cudi. Yeah, that was amazing. Where uh, Kid Cudi uh, talked about like how he's basically been uh, suicidal and uh, suffering from extreme anxiety and depression for most of his like musical career, at least. And he's like checking himself into rehab and, and to get help. Um, and I don't know. I, I think just I I love people just talking more about this stuff. Like I, I think 
I want to see more of it. I think it's a trend that um, I, I think is beautiful that more people are opening up about stuff like this and let's keep it going. It, it, it obviously has a positive impact on like people and like not only gives people inspiration, but also um, get, lets the door open for you to be vulnerable and open up about things that you're holding as well. So fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Cheers to that. Cool. All right. So that's our three things. We yeah. made it. Yeah. We made it. This far. <laughs> All right. Uh, and now we're moving on to our three questions. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Um, I guess. Do you, do you want me to go first? Sure. Sure. Okay. Why not? So, um, so my first question is actually a, a package. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's something I initially stole from, um, this economist, Tyler Cohen, his, his podcast. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but I guess a lot of people do it because you showed me a, a Pitchfork video where they did it last night. It's a, it's a little a game of overrated, underrated. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, so I have I have three things, Let's and I'm just sort of rapid fire them at you. And if you could, you know, give your quick instinct on overrated or underrated on each of these three things. <laughs> and then, um, and you know, like a, a paragraph or two of explanation. Sure. Um, All right. So, I, so I, got, I got three of them. Let's do it. So the first thing, underrated, overrated, J.J. Abrams. Ooh, J.J. Abrams. Um, so <laughs> I will say... Uh, it's very unlikely he's listening, by the way. So don't yeah. feel like self-conscious about So it. I honestly think a lot of people in the film community feel like he's a little overrated. Um, I I think he's slightly underrated. Okay. Um, and it's not like people are, you know, I mean, it's not like people don't know who he is. It's not like he hasn't helmed the biggest franchises in, in film history. But I think people are downplaying like what he's contributed and like brought. And like, I feel like he's really helped bring um, a love of mystery and sci-fi like back to the popular culture mm. in a way that Spielberg did, I think, like in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I will always be in debt to him for that. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right. Uh, thing number two, organized religion, <laughs> underrated or overrated? <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, so I've not been a fan of religion for most of my life. My mom, like, always tried to force me to go to church, and I hated it. Um, And even in exploring spirituality right now, like, uh, for a lot of my life, I just felt like religion, I just saw, like, the negative parts of it, the ways it puts people in boxes and some of the bigotry and stuff like that. But you know what? I I would say in the recent recent, uh, years, I would say... Organized religion is a little underrated. Mm. And let me defend that a little bit. I would say that um, people are so quick to jump to like all the shitty things that organized religion does that they forget like the beautiful things it also brings. They forget some of the reasons why it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Um, I would say one of the main things is community. Um, I would say another thing, which I think a lot of atheists might not understand, is that they are touching all the religions are actually touching on to something real and true. Mm. I would probably argue that the ways they're doing that and, and the conclusions they make on it um, are a little off, but they are hitting onto something uh, deeper than our our egos can understand, deeper than our, our thinking mind can grasp. Um, and yeah, I'll leave it at that, but... Uh, I think there is more value to it than than people want to give it credit for, and I think we're gonna. I think in the coming years and decades, we're gonna see an interesting, um, 
I don't know. I think we're going to see organized religion evolve into something actually much more in line with reality and much more helpful to people where we are in our modern day. Cool. Nice. That's a good answer. Uh, last thing, overrated, underrated, the suburbs. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, underrated. I got love for the suburbs, yeah. I got to say. I mean, right now we're, we're here in Walnut Creek uh, yeah. in my childhood home that I grew up in. And, uh, and the suburbs, suburbs are a beautiful place. Like, uh, I live in San Francisco now and I fucking love it. I live in a house of 38 people. I fucking love it. But coming out to the suburbs, like it feels so nice. I'm like, everything's so green and there's so much space and look how pretty and, and, and clean the streets are. And like, I, yeah, I love it. And for me having my parents house here and I can just go here and like almost do like a little retreat every once in a while. I think the suburbs are great. Would I raise a kid there? Um, maybe, but I would want to do it in community. I think the thing that sucks about suburbs is that everyone is so isolated. Everyone's mm. in their own little nuclear families. Um, and I think that is a shitty part of suburbs. But I think if you combine suburbs with more, like with little bigger communities, be fucking awesome. Yeah. I bet there are suburbs out there too that do better job of having a sense of community versus others. True. I'm not sure exactly where they True. are. And I would bet that suburbs that have a lot more organized religion, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, like yeah. there's a closeness there that uh, that sometimes you don't feel with these suburbs. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. That's the end of Over Under. Wow. That was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Dude, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> now I will disappoint you with my first question. Um, so, Gabe. You, uh, ever since I've known you, you've been at the forefront of huge progressive movements before they were huge progressive movements. I'm thinking specifically um, gay marriage and education reform. And I'm curious if you could tell me and, and the lovely people listening, um, what is going to be the next big movement or movements? And, um, and do you see yourself getting involved in some capacity? Oh, man, really good question. Um, I don't know, but I'll, I'll uh, venture a guess, a few, a few guesses. Uh, I mean, so, so obviously, so like three years ago, you could see that criminal justice reform was about to be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And it was, and this sort of criminal justice reform married with Black Lives Matter, I think is clearly the, the biggest thing happening in terms of, of organized energy on the left right now. Mm -hmm. Um, what comes after that? I really, um, I really don't know. I'll, I'll put in a. So this is not going to be the big thing, but I'll, I'll put in a plug for something that, that I've started getting involved in that, um, that I think is definitely like on the come up in a way that people don't see coming right now, mm -hmm. which is um, housing activism and specifically activism around the need for dramatically more housing in coastal cities, places like LA, San Francisco is sort of mm -hmm. like I think the hotbed of it because right. it's such a such a um, huge example of the problems we have in terms of housing shortages leading to huge increases in, in uh, price supply. But for a long time, people like me would argue we've had sort of a, a problematic dynamic where people called NIMBYs, stands for not in my backyard, like people who live in nice places want to keep the place exactly like it is right. because they like it exactly like it is. So they um, oppose any attempt to build more housing, especially if it's, you know, anything bigger than one story where you can like fit people more efficiently, more densely in, in urban areas, right? Um, and the individual impact of any of those projects is not substantial, obviously, but the collective impact of that is huge. Right. But obviously the people that are stand to lose, you know, the homeowners, the residents in any one particular area, 
feel a sense of loss much more viscerally than the populace more broadly would feel. They have something to gain through, hey, if we build, you know, 100,000 more units over the next few years, prices will lower for everyone. So it's an interesting collective action problem. I think that over the last year, the the activism around sort of like a marrying of of progressive urban folks that have a, a sort of like masculine, um, by masculine I mean sort of like linear analytical way of approaching politics and policy issues, look at this and just say, of which I'd probably include myself as one of those people, like, oh, if we just built, you know, a ton more units, we could lower everyone's prices. We need to do that, and we need to change the politics in order to allow that to happen. Mm. I think that's a for those of us that live in places like LA and San Francisco. I think that's going to be a growing, important sort of political movement over the next few years. I don't think it's going to be like the next big thing, right, but right. I think it's something that in a few years will be much bigger than it is now. Cool, awesome. And you you see yourself getting more involved with it? Yeah, yeah. I've I've gotten um, I've gotten involved with a group called Abundant Housing in LA. That's sort of pushing in that direction. A lot of challenges to to doing it well, but um, but it's definitely something that I feel. I mean we're all just getting screwed in terms of rent. Like yeah. everyone was just like, I have to tell most people listening to this, <laughs> this show. Getting screwed. Uh, uh, but it's, it's hugely problematic. It's problematic for like everyone who doesn't own a home is getting screwed in the same way, right. basically, or, or roughly in the same way, which right. is like a lack of sufficient housing supplies leading to just insane prices in places like the Bay Area and LA and right. San Diego. So, um, so yeah. And I, I, I'm curious if this movement will maybe dovetail with what I hope and predict will be a movement is community living. Mm, um, interesting, yeah. And um, I, I feel like there's definitely going to be interplay of that in the coming coming years. So. Yeah, I think there's like more, it's interesting, there's like more developers looking at sort of the community living concept. And it'll be interesting to see how that lands in terms right. of like how much actually community is created when something's done as, as more of a commercial project. Right. Like how right. many of those developers will do that well in terms of the experiential side. Because um, I feel like for you, your community living, such a key part of it has been the intentionality with which the community is planned, with which people are brought in, like the culture that's created. Um, hard to do, right? Hard yeah. to do well. Um, yeah. And so I'm curious, is that possible to do well, like at any sort of scale commercially? Right. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Stay yeah. tuned, world. Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> people are on the edge of their seats. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. Okay, so... Uh, my next question. So you um, you have spent the last five years or so diving really deep into mindfulness, meditation, spirituality. I don't know exactly the right labels, but right. somewhere reasonably that, accurate. That blob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, non-duality. Uh, you know, talk about things that are on the come up. That's obviously, I think, at, over the last five years, like really gained, um, like entered the collective consciousness yeah. of people in general. I think our generation in particular as something that more and more folks are interested in. I'm sure you get the question relatively often from folks that are interested in sort of like taking a first step into it, mm-hmm. but um, aren't really sure where to start, like what you recommend. And I'm curious, like what your what your answer is to that right now to folks that, that ask you that? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Um, and I feel like a little, little bit of a hard one for me to answer. Cause I feel like I'd give a different answer depending on the person, mm. but yeah, I mean, I guess that would be my, the first thing I'd say is like, depending on where you are, like whatever point of entry is interesting you, like is intriguing you, is exciting you, like that's where you need to start. Um, like, I'm a huge believer, like, it's, there's not a specific technique, there's not a specific, like, 
way that's right or better or higher than others, like just whatever the point of entry that's interesting you is that. So mm. if it's yoga, if you're interested in mindfulness meditation, if you're interested in going to Vipassana retreat, those things are all great and good. Now, where I will kind of come in and, and say something a little more opinionated is, um, so after you've been exploring, you know, you, you're diving into mindfulness, you're, you're kind of getting into the spiritual path. Um, I would say go deeper. And what I mean by that is um, I really think, um, how do I phrase this? It's, it's, wor it's worth exploring um, non-duality. It, it's worth exploring um, the greater, uh, exploring like oneness and um, a deeper dive into awareness. Uh, yeah. And how? What's the, I mean, so, so. Eckhart Tolle was sort of like for both of us an interesting catalyst into that. Do you still recommend like Eckhart Tolle books? Or are there other places like to sort of like, yeah, it's a difficult thing to start into. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so yeah, I would still recommend Eckhart Tolle. Um, and he, but here's the thing is like, and you know, okay, here's actually what I was really trying to say. I think whatever path you're exploring, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's an Eckhart Tolle book, um, don't get stuck there. Um, I think a lot of times we we get onto mm, yeah. these pads and then we're like, oh, this is the this is the thing that I can just follow to my fucking enlightenment. I can just follow this one path. This person has the answer. This person this, has yeah. the answer. And what we do is we actually turn it into a religion. We turn it into its own constraining box with its set of rules. And um, and what you want is you want to always go further every box you find yourself in. You want to ask what's beyond this box. What else do I not know yet? You know, like. And, and just to keep going further in whatever direction that takes you. Mm. For me, it was exploring non-duality further. Um, started with Eckhart Tolle. Um, right now, my, my favorite teacher is Locke Kelly, who mm -hmm. I'm actually making an animation for. Oh, that's amazing. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm helping him with that. And he's actually doing a retreat in Berkeley uh, this weekend. So I'll be there. And do you think he's someone that like newbies would find accessible? Or do I you think need to so. Go further along he, the path? He's a really, like we're starting to see um, spiritual teacher these days that I think how are very accessible in this awesome way. They're, t they're taking what the ancient tra ancient traditions have been pointing to, but they're also combining like a knowledge of neuroscience mm. and also, you know, which I think is helpful um, for anyone, not just beginners, but like having it be directly applicable to your life right now, like lower mm. stress reduction, um, feeling triggered less, things mm. like that. And combining- so more utilitarian, but not yeah, exclusively utilitarian. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's where I think like some pad, like if you're just doing mindfulness meditation, like you're getting these stress reducing benefits but there's deeper to go. Like yeah. you, you can, you know, like, um, so I highly recommend Locke Kelly. That's L-O-C-H-K-E-L-L-Y. Um, but you know what? Next time you talk to me, probably in six months, there'll be another probably teacher I recommend. Yeah. And it's just, I, my, my answer would be just keep going deeper and just don't never settle yeah. like, on a path, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> By way of sharing one sort of just like example that came to me, you're talking, I mean, so as I think, you know, my brother Isaac and his girlfriend Valerie yeah. found a, they live in the city. They found like a Tuesday night meditation class, I think at a Buddhist temple. Um, they started going to uh, regularly on Tuesdays. And I feel like that they just love it. Like they've been involved in, it, I think for the last so year awesome. or two, it's just been like, I think um, just finding like a class like that, that can sort of like be a, a starting point um, can be a game changer. When I hear them talk about it, I'm like jealous. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. I'd love to, I'd love to find something else like that. Um, 
That's so yeah, really I, th- cool. I feel like yeah, there's a lot of different entry points out there. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Find what resonates with you and, and go there. Cool. Nice. All right. Um my second question for you um is you know, what advice would you give your eighteen year old self? Mm. Um I feel like I don't know. I've always seen you as someone who like just has his shit together, is always like um is always, you know, like is always progressing and moving forward and um, and doing amazing things. But I'm really curious, like, like, yeah, what you would have told yourself me almost ten years ago, and maybe in like, and maybe have guided yourself in kind of a slightly different direction. Yeah, so. yeah. So I mean, I have like a before answering the question, I sort of like have like an objection to the que- sure. like reject the premise, which sure. is like, it's like. The, the the whole problem with time travel. If I went back and told that to my eighteen-year-old self, I would have wound up in like a totally different place. Right, and like I, right. all the lessons that I'm sharing now, I I needed to learn through experience. Would be them, invalid. So yeah, telling them like wouldn't be that useful. But exactly. um, regardless, regardless, I still think it's an interesting question. <laughs> um, so I think that the the one the first thing that comes to mind and the most meaningful thing that comes to mind for me is uh, I really struggled post college. And, um, I think that's something we share. I think we struggle in a little yeah, bit of different ways, but definitely, but, um, I feel like there's not one thing I would change about my like experience from ages 18 to 20, really like 16 to 22. I feel like I just, there's nothing I look back and regret at all. I mean, I just sort of don't believe in regret more broadly, but like just speaking, <laughs> yeah. letting go of that uh, a little bit for a minute. Um, there's really nothing 16 to 22 just felt like years that of enormous growth enormous joy and fun and like this rich community around me both like sort of last years of high school and then into college i accomplished like in terms of like like the stuff i was interested in doing i got to do so many amazing things with so many amazing people i mean it's just like i was like zero regrets uh and then that all ended and it was like oh what do i do now and like professionally things like all worked out for me like perfectly well but but um the transition um from the sort of really intense community you have in college yeah. to the much more isolating real world that we all inhabit as adults was was jarring but i didn't know why it was jarring for me like i didn't realize yet how important community was right, to me right. um and i didn't realize how much community had been taken away from me and i didn't know how to try to get community back so um if there were things i could have done that i think would have um would have helped me through that transition it would have been one um being more self-aware about community and how important that is and and um and being willing and able to like do the work to seek that out um and then um call line is is ringing is buzzing oh dude we got so (laughs) many questions coming in um and then the second sort of more meta point of it is um is just being more okay with the downs of life. Like yeah. that's something that like just recently over the last, like maybe two years I've been coming <sighs> so around on. Important. Um, but back then when I like felt like sad or down or like I was in a rut in my life, I just didn't know what to do. It just felt so disorienting and upsetting. And then you just sort of spiral because you're upset that you're upset. Yeah. And it is sort of a never ending loop. So um, those are the two things that um, if I had known them, in, with more depth than would have gotten me through some rockier times a little easier yeah. and help make me make, help me make better decisions. Um, yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of just like when I think of that, it's just like kind of letting your younger self know, like it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Yeah. Like yeah. kind of 
not so much changing things, but just like letting you know, giving yourself permission, like, dude, it's all right. You're not alone also. Like, yeah, that's so important. Awesome. Cool. Um, so my uh, third and final question for you is um, something you've always been incredibly good at has been research. Uh, you just, whether it's, whether it's headphones, sleeping pills, yeah. not sleeping pills harvested from cats, spinal <laughs> flu, whatever. You just like, you just, you're, you're I very serious about shit research. out of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, uh, that is definitely true. Um, so I'm curious, um, like what's your approach to research? Like how would you summarize sort of a high level? What makes you good at doing research and getting the right other than, well, actually no caveats. What makes you good at diving in, researching, and finding the answers you need to help yourself with XYZ problem? Oh, man. Um, you know, I honestly, I actually think my my gift for research is more of a curse. Mm, okay. <laughs> and I okay. think what drives it is my perfectionism. Okay. And this idea that, like, uh, if I'm going to get something, it has to be the best. Like, it's like I have to research all options. Yeah. And I have to pick the one that's, you know, qu- qu- quantitatively better than all the others. And honestly, I just... I really don't think it matters that much. Like right now, like I'm actually trying to actively do less. Okay. Um, and I would say um, try to follow my gut more. If something mm. kind of feels right, like, yeah, still do a little cursory research. But if it feels good, like go with it, you know? Yeah. And like, and chances are, if I, if I do five minutes of research, I'll get something that's going to get the job done. It's going to be good. And will it be the in the 0.01 percentile best? It's like, maybe not, but it'll be in the top 5%. And that's all I really need. Yeah, um, maybe if you'd re- found like the raccoon spinal fluid sleeping pill, like you would have been like, <laughs> I'd be sleeping really better. I'd be off, sleeping one yeah. percent better right yeah, now, okay. and it's like exactly, and it's like, and and life's too short for that shit. Yeah. I would spend hours researching shit on Amazon. I still do. I try not to. It's still a work in progress, but God, it's a curse. Yeah, <laughs> and also a good time to plug um, wirecutter.com. dot oh, com. Yeah. If you guys don't know. Now you know. That site is fucking amazing. They do the um, research for you. They do the research you for you. You just click the Amazon link and buy. <laughs> yeah. If you want the best uh, headphone. Well, oh, by the way, these headphones, wire approved, of course. course. Um, <laughs> if you want anything, best Bluetooth speaker, best computer, whatever, Wirecutter has probably researched it, tested like 50 different models, and has written an in-depth review of which one you should buy. Yeah. It's fucking awesome, especially for someone like me. It just allays a lot of that yeah. pressure. <laughs> for those of you that are just tuning in, uh, we actually have no sponsors, even though it sounds like we do. We just actually love this shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spotify, <laughs> wirecutter.com. Yeah, they should be paying us, they, but this is all you guys you know, listening? It's all from the heart <laughs> for now. Awesome. Um, all right. So my final question for you, um, I would say you um, consume a lot of great content whether Mm. it's think pieces books um interesting videos even podcasts um so out of all the content that you've you know listened to or saw or read in the past six months um if you could choose one and like force like everybody to have to consume it yeah what would it be uh good question a very very difficult question question, but i'm I'm just gonna go with the first one that came to me which is uh which is the gonna be at the top of my upcoming first ever monthly newsletter Um, getting a little preview uh but if you do one thing it would be there's a um a one hour interview that ezra klein the guy who founded vox and ucla bruin um uh did with this woman named arlie hawkschild um who's a uc berkeley sociologist um 
and she spent five years from 2010 to 2015 living, I think, part-time, but a good chunk of time in rural Louisiana, like Charles, Louisiana, um, trying to understand in a deep way what made the Tea Party tick and hmm. and um, uh, trying to, um, yeah, like understand and then tell the story of how folks in you know, in her case rural Louisiana, but I think uh, sort of indicative of a lot of places across the country came to have sort of the, the political beliefs they have. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's it would have been interesting and important research on its own, but I think the... Um, the um, catastrophe right now that is the Trump campaign and the and the uh, real problem we have uh, in America with like the with the divide between um, sort of like our part of the country and the Trump movement right. um, makes her perspective phenomenally important. I think that um, we most of us, if you're listening to this podcast, is a good chance you don't have a single friend or certainly a good friend who's supporting Trump. And like, yeah, and I think bubble. that's true of all people in rural Louisiana don't have a single friend supporting Hillary. And right. I think like the the extent to which we don't uh, our 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 political divide has come to mirror our cultural divide and social divides and cultural divides in a in a um in a pretty complete way is troubling. I mean the Trump movement and ideology is like obviously deeply troubling on its own and then additionally troubling is the way that we're almost you know more and more living in two different countries that don't understand each other and i just think that's that's a dynamic at medium long term if it's not fixed we'll have very 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 bad consequences on our ability to have like a country that we all want to live in together right um for all of us and so her you can spend one hour listening to her interview with ezra um and really get a pretty good deep dive into someone whose mission it was to go out and and uh, build what she calls like empathy bridges or empathy walls mm. to folks. I mean, she's she lives in Berkeley. She's like <laughs> she's a UC Berkeley professor. She's right. like as lefty as it gets, you know, by and large. Uh, but um, she she made a very honest attempt as an academic to really deeply understand where folks were coming from in a very human way, and then tell that story to the rest of us. And I just. Um, I found it very compelling, and I think that if you're like me and you live in a part of the country where you're in sort of like a, a lefty bubble, at least right. culturally, um, really, really important to um, try to break out of that bubble as best we can. I think if you only have an hour, that's the best way to do it. That's awesome. Um, we'll uh, link to that in the show notes. Yeah, of course. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> link to it in the show notes. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that touches on a pet peeve of mine. Um, Obviously, everything that's happening with Trump has, has been pretty insane. But I think the way everyone's reacting to it um, annoys me a little bit in mm-hmm. that often the reaction is just is just outrage and uh, kind of a finger pointing at like, oh, how could you people be so bigoted and so ignorant? Um, and I'd like to see a little less of that and a little bit more like, why is this happening? Yeah. What is happening that these human beings or, or people just like you and me um, are supporting, you know, ideologies or people like this, and what are the factors that could be contributing to this? And like, how do we bridge this divide? Yeah, right. You know, instead of just like, instead of furthering the divide, which is what you're doing when you're like, oh, you guys are just racist fucks. You know, you guys are just assholes, and it's like we're just making the rift bigger and bigger. And like, that's not what we need right now. Yeah. You know, and I'll also say, for, as 
a liberal elite like what we're doing when we do that is like we're also stroking our own egos mm-hmm. just being like oh and i'm so good i'm so high and mighty you know yeah it's just i'm i'm not a fan of it yeah no i think it's like if we if we're intentional about it it's entirely possible to call out trump for what he is which is a, a crazy psychopath right yeah. um who's like racist and started, whatever it's just like he is a nutcase that should never have any power over anyone right um and there's certainly a small cadre of his supporters that just seem like pretty genuinely bad people like have no like emp- just like just bad people but i think you really separate that out from the vast majority of his supporters that that may well hold some problematic beliefs um but are not fundamentally bad people and we shouldn't approach them as bad broken people. We mm-hmm. should approach them as fellow human beings and Americans that like we need to, even if we're not going to change their mind and they're not going to change our mind, like we need to on some level see ourselves as on the same team. Um, even if we have, we have really significant disagreements. And I worry that like, yeah, more and more, we just, we don't see ourselves as having a single thing in common right. with them and we see no shared humanity. And that's, and don't even want to try yeah, to find that. Yeah, not not even interested because right. it's easier to just like... To write them off. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so that I think is the end of our three question segment. Yeah. And, uh, and on that note, uh, we'll call that a wrap. Um, hopefully next time we'll have a name for this, you know, yeah. um, but it's been a pleasure, Gabriel Rose. I can't wait to hear the outro music. Yeah. <laughs> and cue the outro music now. We'll see you guys next time. Um, you need some sort of tagline like... Keep, keep being good to yourselves uh, and each other. Um, drive safe, kids. Drive, drive Roads safe. are dangerous out there. Put your seatbelt on. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>